Welcome back to the Creative Strings Podcast. Today, I'm joined by special guest, Drew Alexander Ford, also known as That Viola Kid. Hello, and welcome to the Creative Strings Podcast. I'm Christian Howes, violinist, educator, and music business entrepreneur. I hope these interviews will inspire you to be creative in your life, in your art, in your business, in every way. So without further ado, let's get to it. Drew is known as one of classical music's most recognizable online brands. And today we are going to hear from him about social media in classical music, personal branding, his move after Juilliard from New York City to LA, and much, much more. Whether you're trying to collaborate online with other string players or other music producers to make your own covers, to do rehearsal tracks, to put effects on your playing, one great source for all things electric strings is the Electric Violin Shop. If you go to electricviolinshop.com, I really recommend that you reach out to them with any questions you have. Their phone number is on their website. You can call them during business hours and get your questions answered about all things electric strings. I want to thank Electric Violin Shop for sponsoring the Creative Strings Podcast. What's good? Good to connect What's with good? you. Likewise, man. You go Thank by you so much for yeah. Go ahead. You go by uh, just Drew or you? You yeah. That's my name. This I like it. My mom gave it to me. Uh, sometimes people call me TDK or that Viola kid in real life, but uh, it you know it's so funny. Um, I took my name off of my Instagram profile. So, like, a lot of people who have discovered me in the past couple of years just don't even know my name. So, that's actually hilarious. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's, it's, it's weird, man. It's a, little, it's a little different now. That's awesome. Well, I got a lot of – hopefully you read some of the questions that I was, I was proposing. And hit, hit, hit me, man, with whatever. Like, I'm an open book, and right, it's cool. how we do it on my podcast, too. It's just, it's just right. open season. All right, awesome. Tell me if I got this correct. You love mm -hmm. classical music, but you mm -hmm. also like other kinds of music. You're also a composer, performer. I don't know if you do much teaching or not. How do you I teach? You do teach. Okay. So how do you identify in terms of the styles of music, if you even want to mm -hmm. use that word, and how do you identify yeah. in terms of the roles that you occupy as a musician? Well, still, unfortunately, uh, I'm still beginning my journey into uh, styles that are beyond classical. Even as we speak, I'm preparing for two professional orchestra auditions, not because like I want to have an orchestra job necessarily, but mostly because at the time when I made the decision, I wasn't getting a lot of work. So I wanted to at least then spend time getting better at what I do. Does that make sense? And so, and then you reached out to me and I was like, oh crap, I can do this now. But now I got these two major auditions with 20 excerpts each that I got to practice. Wow. So I'm kind of still in that crossroads. But where you were going with your question in terms of like the different hats that I have to wear, it's something that in recent years I'm like coming to terms with because I shoot my own photography, my own videography. I edit everything. 
I'm my own PR agent. So I make all of my social media content, my website, uh, my YouTube channel. And then I have to now learn about production. So I'm my own producer, I'm my own writer, I'm my own like coach when it comes to learning how to rap. I'm my own. I mean, I teach uh, privately. I gig professionally um, in, in many different capacities from recording studios to award shows to subbing in school orchestras. Like it's it's mind blowing. And then I do master classes and then I do uh, public speaking engagements like at Juilliard and recently been reached out to by NYU. Uh, so there's a lot going on, especially now I'm transitioning into getting a lot more chamber music work. So uh, to, to, to define myself as like one thing uh, as just a classical musician or just a content creator is like really difficult these days and yeah. I'm blessed, but it's, it's, it's really weird to be spread so thin. So I'm trying to figure out, okay, what are some ways that I can delegate? How do I make more capital to then delegate some of these tasks so I could be more uh, in depth with the things I'm most passionate about? Yeah, no, that's awesome. Because I think most of us as musicians, you know, we identify strongly as, for example, some people identify really strongly as a teacher. And mm-hmm. like, but they also like to perform, you know, but if they mm-hmm. had to pick one, they'd say like, well, really my bag mm-hmm. is teacher. But just in the musical capacity, if you had to choose between teacher, composer, player, what would you choose first? As player. Okay. Player. Fair enough. Player. Not even, not even close. Cool. It's not even a close second for anything else. I love teaching. I love it. I love it. I love it. But I, I don't get as much joy out of it than the actual like anime style woodshedding (laughs) prepare for the big day you know just going in hard and then having that one moment where you get to see if your work paid off you get to see if you can connect with the audience and it doesn't always go well which is which makes it even more exciting because you're like there's still risk involved with it if my student trains for an audition and they don't get the audition. Well, part of me, you know, questions whether or not I, I I taught them well enough. But also, it's much easier to just be like, well, they probably didn't put in that work. If I don't show up and I don't perform well, I know it's my fault. Mm. And there's something about that accountability that, you know, keeps a otherwise lazy person like me at bay. <laughs> you right. know, it's like, no, you're responsible. So. I feel yeah. like I really relate to you in, in the sense of like grew up as a classical violin player and just like f- identify as a player, as a violin player. But then there was this sense of, I want to be expressing something that's personal. I want to be expressing something that's unique about me that I can't do playing Beethoven. And so then that's when I started composing or learning other genres and trying to improvise in different styles. And frankly, that's how I got into being creative in other mediums too, like making videos or interviewing you or, you know, whatever it might be, uh, or write, you know, writing blog posts. And so I know you do all that. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. is that what you're looking for is like, you know, to being, be creatively expressed and to you, because you feel somehow that's missing from your experience as a classical violist. So here's what I wanted to say. Uh, I'm a violist. Right. Okay. So... (laughs) This music that I play a lot of times is boring. I remember when I when I find I was practicing. So when I started viola and, you know, you have to be in school orchestra, you have to do that. 
a lot of the I got so bored with the grind of it because I could play the music after having it set down in front of me. It wasn't that hard because I practiced and I had to keep practicing. And so the biggest chore for me was being patient in high school orchestra. And I wasn't the type of kid that handled being bored. Well, I would just be disruptive if I was bored, if I just was way ahead of it. And I don't know what it was. I think it's this little, this little bit of a character flaw where I'm impatient. I'm like very, 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 very impatient about many things in my life. Uh, and actually playing viola has taught me how to be patient, mm. that you can gain beautiful things and, and beautiful fulfillment from repeated frustration over many, many years. <laughs> and you'll <laughs> finally get to a point where you're like, oh, okay. It taught me a lot about life. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think that just being a violist and being perpetually bored, and then after getting the Juilliard degree and then still not really getting the type of work that would continue to challenge me broke my heart. It's, mm. it's like the, the, the places in the classical music zeitgeist where I wanted to perform, mm. um, where I wanted to keep performing. It's so closed off and it's so competitive that the enjoyment of the experience is lost on me, but I still want to keep growing. I still want to keep playing my instrument and I don't want to play whole notes. So that's where I was like, okay, if I want to mm. do the things that I want to do, I got to build it myself. I got to mm. do my own thing. And that's when I started asking questions beyond just playing viola. Like wow. what genre am I interested? What genres am I interested in? And then I discovered, really, really discovered hip hop and really, really discovered emceeing and how much fun it can be. So I, that's where I've been kind of focusing my life recently. That's awesome. When people ask you to speak, what do you think the reasons that they ask you to speak are, or what is it that they want you to speak on? And what is it that people that you're speaking to, like if you speak at Juilliard, what is it that those people most need to hear from you? I'm just curious. Well, in, in many capacities, people hire me because of what I've built through social media. Okay. Um, and, and they want to understand social media. They want to understand these things. Uh, and so I go over there to give them not like the granular nuts and bolts because there are plenty of other people that can do that. There are books out there that you can read, but I try to like brush broader strokes in telling people that now the, the way we live the life now is we're never going back to the previous uh, states of how we live our life. So the fact that now everybody is posting selfies on Instagram, whereas even six, seven years ago, that was rare. Now that everybody's on it, you have to understand if you're not telling your story on digital media, you are not only missing out on potential exposure, you're missing out on, on a regular everyday human experience now. Mm -hmm. and, and, and the work that you put out on social media, while paradoxically, it lasts forever. So you want it to be good. You also have to be willing to show your vulnerability and your flaws mm -hmm. because that is what's more compelling and relatable. And when you put content online, if you tell a story online, if your story isn't relatable or compelling, nobody's going to give a f And that's, that's the crazy part. People, for some reason, are afraid 
of it. And I understand they're afraid of judgment and it's taken bullying to another level. It's taken criticism to another level. But the one thing I try to just tell people is you got to grow up. And what I mean to say is you need to have the courage to put your voice out there and Mm. not listen to what other people have to say. Mm. Because it's one thing where you could make this thing this video for your family and you guys could just watch it at Christmas parties. It's another thing when you put it on YouTube and the whole world gets to uh, roast you and right. your bad haircut or something. It's it's right. a different level of perceived social ostracization. Mm-hmm. So I just want people, I'm telling all these classical musicians, look, 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 it's gonna be okay <laughs> to post a less than perfect clip. Right. Don't be afraid because it's much more interesting to see your progress. Preach, man. No, I love it. We all develop this uh, like fear, like maybe in high school or conditioning sometime mm-hmm. growing up, you know, where we're like all of a sudden we're afraid about whether people are going to like us, whether they're going to judge us about whatever. Like, I don't mm-hmm. think that we're born as humans, like afraid about what people think about us. And, you know, mm-hmm. we're just, we're just innocent and just ourselves. And then like we develop all this, this, uh, this fear. And I, one of the things I've been, I mean, I'm, I'll be 48 this month and I feel like I'm finally like what you're talking about. I feel like is something that I've been fighting to do my whole life, like that fear. Oh. And I just want to acknowledge it for everybody. Cause it's like, and I don't know, mm-hmm. maybe you don't feel this, but like, I feel, I, I feel afraid so much. I feel it so much. Let's be real. <laughs> I feel it so much. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It. Yeah. I get it. No, I get it. But, one thing I've been saying a lot to some of my business coaching clients, musician business coaching clients, is like mm-hmm. you got to every day you got to choose your mission or your fear. It feels uncomfortable, but like what do you want? And is is that important enough that you're going to deal with some discomfort? Somebody that might say something about your hair or about that note you played out of tune. And I feel mm-hmm. like it's 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 ultimately a a personal challenge for each one of us. It's like a it's a, it's about our personal development. It's about our willingness. Like you said, it's your, you know, are you willing to put your voice out there? I I look at social media, plain and simple as business. It's just business to me. Cause like my wife, she's Hell not, yeah, she, baby. you know what I mean? <laughs> my, my wife is not, she's not on social media. She's like, I don't want people to know my, and I'm like, that's fine. She doesn't run her own business, but I run my own business and it, it's not about I mean, of course, well, my, you know, I connect with my family there too, but it's like, this is a hundred percent business. Mm-hmm. It's for people to be able to see me for who I am and understand what I have to offer and decide whether they like, know, and trust me and mm-hmm. want to work with me period. The yeah. end. I mean, would you agree? Look, I mean, yes. Uh, but I started it at a, at a, at a time in my life where I was so supremely insecure about myself and it was just an exercise in me being uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And it, it got to, it's kind of, I, I, I relate it to like, you know, on a super hot summer day, we're talking like 98 degrees, 0% humidity. You just, you, you can't sweat. You're just, you're just dying. Right. You jump into an ice cold pool. That's super uncomfortable. You're like, what? This was the worst idea ever. <laughs> and it's not better after two minutes. You're still struggling. But then you're in there for about five minutes and you get over that hump and and then the 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 discomfort curve kind of takes a nice nosedive. And then you're chilling and then you're enjoying it, right? And so I think social media is like that. Uh, for me, I had just been doing it every day for so many years. It wasn't weird to me anymore, even though 
in hindsight and look, looking at myself from the outside, yeah, super weird. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I, I was so blinded by this need to build something for myself. So I didn't end up a loser. Like so many of not so many people that I had looked up to in terms of like how much work they were getting and their skill level. And then I saw that they were going to school and they're almost 30 and they, they're still trying to do competitions. And it's just, I didn't see any progression, right? It's not like they were playing their own shows. It's not like they were getting management. And so I kept asking myself, what, what's the difference? Like, what do I have to do different? And so I didn't see any of them doing this thing. And I was like, you know what? Instead of doing what they were doing and getting the same results, how about I do something different and just see what happens? I literally have nothing to lose. And I'm just super lucky and and thankful that it was a decision that uh, took me in a, a unique direction. I love the message. And and I mean, I can testify to it. Like, I think I had even seen you at the ASTA conference, like Diodario mm-hmm. brought you to the mm-hmm. ASTA conference. But I don't even yeah. know if we actually met or we might have just shaken hands or something. So I didn't really know you Super. before I reached out to you. I was like, you know, let me learn more about Drew. And I got to know you from the content you posted, which was what made me feel more at ease about reaching out to you, even though we didn't have like, you know what I mean? It, and it's like, yeah. I think it's so important for getting opportunities. It's not just, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is it's not just about whether you want to get a big management deal or a massive endorsement or a massive this or that. It's like, even for someone down the street to call you to sub on a gig, it's like, it's a way Mm -hmm. for them to get to know you and to feel a little more at ease. And like, they can trust you, you know, like, because I feel like people hire people that they know, like, and trust. And that a lot of times it's not about being quote unquote, the best at, especially in music, you know, it's not a race. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not a race. And, and yeah. uh, but <laughs> I pe- love it. It's not a race. You're right. <laughs> you know, yeah. and, but it's like people want to work with people that they know they want to work mm-hmm. with or that they feel comfortable with, you know. Mm-hmm. But anyway, what do you think are the top things classical musicians can do to make more impact and enjoy their careers, music and life in, t- in terms of their mm-hmm. musical development? Mm. I would say that they would get a lot more enjoyment out of building skills that aren't just their technical proficiency. Right. Like you said, it's not a race. So you have your entire life to practice scales. Right. So, I mean, I, I, and I'm back to, I'm back in the workshop and it's, it's brand new baby. Like I feel it. I'm like, Oh man, it's so much work to do. It's, it's there. That in and of itself is gratifying. But when I think I was talking to somebody recently um, about a similar thing. It's like, how do you get more work or, or how do you be more viable or how do you get more vibrance out of this experience? And I'm like, you need to build other skills that either complement your playing or take you away from your playing entirely so that you can actually have space from it. Yeah. And when you have space from it and you learn different skills, you can go back to your main craft and be able to look at it from different angles. Yeah. So I have a student who's in New York and she's a photographer. So I was trying to explain to her how to make, how to do color changes or how to change color on her instrument. And I had to... I related it to the exposure triangle in photography Mm. because I understand photography. I understand you have aperture, ISO and shutter speed. And for all of your listeners, I am so sorry for the jargon, 
But in <laughs> essence, she understood. And I said, okay, so your bow speed is like your shutter speed, okay? It's however fast the shutter goes and you can get more blur. Or if you pull the bow fast, you can get more blur. Or if you slow the bow, bow down, it's a sharper image, right? Hmm. Or if you want to like an ISO to arm weight, you can get more sensitivity to the sound. You could put more arm weight into the bow so you can get a louder sound or vice versa, softer sound. And aperture being where between the fingerboard and the bridge you are. And those three are the main parameters, at least there are thousands, but they're the main ideas of how to get different types of sound and how you change them over time, how you mix and match those variables can create different sounds. And it blew her mind because she <laughs> was never going to understand what I was talking about through Skype. <laughs> yeah. If I relate it to another schema, something else that she was intimately, un she intimately understood, she just got it like that. And she flew in terms of her ability to change color. Yeah. And so that's what I say to people is like, find other creative media to get deep into. I think that we lose out on opportunities when we try to just focus too much on one thing. And so that's my advice whenever I go and do these talks. And that's how I've been able to stay engaged with my art. That's great. Well, I mean, that's a nice segue into the idea of doing playing other genres of music mm -hmm. outside of classical mm -hmm. music, because in, I, I guess you would agree that I feel like we, if we if we play other genres of music beyond classical, it and it's going to make us a much better classical musician. Oh man, it's not even close. <laughs> it's not even close. Yeah, right. you're right. Yeah, um, and and I think you know also you you talked about. I think the idea of other genres is related, but not exactly the same as the idea of developing other musical skills, like the skill mm. of grooving, for example. Although in theory, and when we play classical music, we're supposed to have it, but we don't necessarily always. Also, always. Um, <laughs> well, you it, have a conductor, bro. Why are you counting? Why are you counting? You have a conductor. <laughs> yeah, don't try to feel the time. Just watch. Yeah, don't feel it, man. No, 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 no. <laughs> Follow your section leader, okay? But you They're know, like, right. again, it goes back to what you said about, like, you know, just trying all these different, uh, exploring different skills and or mediums, and uh, and then bringing it back to what you do. What was your experience, Chris? Like, I, I, I'm not very familiar with you and your story either, so I'm very curious. Yeah. Like, what was that moment where you were like, uh, "This ain't it, Chief." <laughs> there was a few moments, but probably one of the first ones that I can remember. First of all, I'll share a, 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 the two classical moments. Please. One was like yeah. I was like seven, and my mom was frustrated because I wouldn't practice, and she called my, you know, she she yelled up to my dad. My dad had his big booby. They only he only called me Christian when I was in trouble. Otherwise, it was oh, Chris. no. it, oh, Christian. Yeah. You know the big voice <laughs> and like. You give you know, because yeah. I was giving my mom a hard time. I never wanted to practice. And he said, this is yeah. what it is. We're taking the violin back to the shop or you're going to practice. And so that was the first time that I decided I was like seven or eight years old. I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to practice. But then, no, look, yeah. so that's a classic, you know. But then um, when I was about 14, I went to Chautauqua, the, you know, the summer thing. Yep. And there was this girl mm -hmm. named Ruby, and she was like 13. And she played the Brook Concerto with, with the orchestra as a soloist. Yeah. 
And she played Ooh, like, the, yeah, she had like the soul of a 70 year old woman when she played that piece. Yeah. And yeah. there was, that was a moment for me when I fell in love, you know, I don't know, ambiguously with something, you know, and it was like, mm -hmm. and I decided mm -hmm. I'm going to start practicing three hours a day and I want to yeah. play, you know, and I would walk around at the same time, I would wear this light blue jumpsuit and I used to do break dancing <laughs> and, uh, and Bro, I, me too. <laughs> not light blue. Mine was mine was lime green. Okay, <laughs> they call me the Smurf, and, <laughs> and and I would try to do freestyle rap and you know break dance and stuff. And oh, I had this good. boom box. It was like eighty seven, uh -huh. and so I would walk around the Chautauqua campus blasting uh -huh. romantic violin concertos, like you know oh all the, the and then just breaking to them. <laughs> well, I, dude, yeah, this I, is such a good skit. We gotta <laughs> do this skit, bro. <laughs> So that was you like bust out some swipes, man. Just yeah, right. Some air well, tracks. Yeah, right. Well, yeah, I didn't try to break to the classical music, but it was, you know, I, I, some, mm -hmm. something intuitively, I appreciated the counterpoint of that, and, uh, mm -hmm. but that was when I felt I fell in love with, you know, really fell in love with and knew I want to be a classical violinist. But when I was about sixteen in the uh, high school orchestra, there was this kid named Noah Phipps who is now he teaches elementary school in Chicago. And he would come in and he ha he would bring in these four track recordings of stuff that he made in his basement, like his, he had older brothers and they had like a drum set and a guitar and a microphone. So, and he would basically record his own songs, like multi-tracking stuff. Now he played like good. last chair, second violin and could not play his way out of a paper bag on the violin. <laughs> and I was like the concert master and I was playing my Paganini and stuff, but yeah. all the girls would, would be hovering around this kid. All and around him. Man. All yeah. around him because he was, you know, he was doing something creative. And I had this, per this idea of like, and I really believe that most classical musicians have had this idea. I had this idea that I guess I'm just not a creative person like, like Noah Phipps. And it crushed me. It was like, I'm never going to be that cool. I'm never going to be that unique, that original. And then I thought, wait, what if I tried to, to, to push back on that idea? And, and maybe there is something that I have creative to say. So that was a huge turning point for me. Wow, man. I, I, I want to just like, kind of like touch on that because I feel that same way. And, you know, recently uh, I even had like a, a little bit of a mental breakdown uh, two years ago on my birthday when I had a bunch of friends. Uh, I just moved to L.A., not a bunch of friends. It was like my roommates and like another person. <laughs> but like they were all jamming. They had their keyboard out. They yeah. they had a little drum set and they were singing and playing covers just and improving. Mm -hmm. And I had a mental panic attack because I just could not improvise. I could not. I, I'm such a robot. Like, I'm like, where's my sheet music? Where the like I can read it. I don't care if they're 16th notes. I don't care if it's mode mixture. I don't care if it's if it's irregular five set uh five, eight, seven, eight. I got it. I can read it down like right. anybody. Right. But I couldn't just come up with a a a, a counterpoint right. for for this main line. And I just realized this is where I need to grow. This mm. is the part of my life where I am so so excruciatingly afraid of going down and wow. uh oh man it's you move at snail's pace when you're scared man because i didn't have i don't i still don't have a library of licks or a library of of ideas or even understand chord changes yet or how to play chord changes so just that level of 
complexity in that way was way too daunting because every time I finally got a note that I was ready to play that was that was nice, it, we were in a different key. And I was like, ah, oh! so it just never <laughs> sounded good. It's like I, it's, I felt like a cat chasing a laser pointer. Like, ah, oh, oh, can't can't hold it. So wow. I, I, it was at that mo- moment I was like, okay, I need to, I need to kick this classical brain. And that was when a bunch of mental blocks came down that I realized I had collected from my conservatory training from the colleagues that I had in conservatory because a lot of the things that I was thinking and a lot of things that I was saying were sentiments that they also held. Like what? Uh, am I am I capable of? I all oh, can't. Comp- I'm I'm a violist. I'm a, I, that, that leave that to the composers, right? Gotcha. But then I thought, like, wait a minute. Um, back in the day, <laughs> before iPhones and electricity, <laughs> composers and performers were one and the same. Beethoven yeah. loved performing, and he that's one of the biggest reasons why he was so distraught by his loss of hearing is that he would lose his performing capabilities. Mm-hmm. Uh, Clara Schumann's another example. Uh, Brahms, another example. He wanted to be a composer, but his parents wouldn't let him. They made him have to learn piano. He wanted to take composition lessons, but there were like composing is for losers. <laughs> it was like the, the, the thought about the, the, the sentiments of composition was so different. It was just so a part of being a musician. And then over time, I think I just became a part of like this, this mental zeitgeist that was passed on through generations over time that, you know, it's, it's good enough to just be a player. You're good enough. Just, just stay there. Mm. you know know your place and so i had to i had to break that i had to break that that's great man so it it sounds like i mean a big part of your story if i'm getting it right is just your you take on new projects and you pursue Mm -hmm. new skills in different arenas whether Mm -hmm. it's as a musician or whether it's even out of the field of music and i really i love that i I just thanks i I respect it you know that's that's really cool so much i just wanted to say like I admire how much you in particular uh, not only had the gall to do the same at a time when honestly, like, I think it was even harder. (laughs) <laughs> like Instagram didn't happen. The 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 community was even more isolated from mainstream culture. Right. So you turning your back on classical music, or not even turning your back, but asking questions, mm-hmm. meant that you lose an entire home right. of people that you know and love, and yeah. and you're kind of out of that community. So yeah. that's why I admire you. And you, on top of that, are now out there trying to help people unlock their own their own capabilities. Like that is. I have so much respect for that, and and I look up to that. Thank you, thank you. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, becoming a teacher has been very humbling to me because I think, as someone who like you came up, you know, as a performer and just was like, okay, I, I got this, I got this. There's like a different headspace that you got to come from as a teacher and you could be a great performer great composer but not a, a great teacher and so it's constantly mm-hmm. humbling to me trying to trying to fit into that lane mm-hmm. 
For over 25 years, I have played Yamaha electric violins. I've also used the Yamaha's pickup on my acoustic violin, but beyond their instruments, Yamaha has been a great support to music educators, students, and artists like myself. I want to thank Yamaha for supporting the Creative Strings podcast. Creative String players depend on Yamaha. Creative Strings is a nonprofit 501c3 organization with a mission to positively transform and support music education through trainings, curriculum, and online content, including this podcast. You can go to creativestrings.org for more information, or you can learn more about our programs like Creative Strings Workshop at christianhouse.com. Since the beginning of the pandemic, Creative Strings has produced over 220 play-along video lessons for string player students of all levels. You can find those at the Christian House Creative Strings YouTube channel and use them for yourself and or for your students. So why why Los Angeles? So why did you leave New York and go to, I, I assume you stayed in New York for a minute after Juilliard or? Yeah, yeah. I, I stayed for two years. Mm-hmm. Um, I was I was really going that's those two years, two thousand sixteen through two thousand seventeen, were the most I, I don't really remember those years because I worked so goddamn hard trying yeah. to like make uh Instagram posts, trying to build my YouTube discography, trying yeah. to get better at editing. I switched from Final Cut Pro to Adobe Premiere in 2017. So I was hustling trying to get to so my content wouldn't slow down. Yeah. Um and then it got to a point where I just kind of looked at my life around 2018. I got on a ship. I was performing on a cruise ship for a while, uh, made really great money, but was just so musically dead. Mm. Just like the inspiration for music. It was a combination of the people I was with, also the environment, the repetitive environment. I didn't think I would survive. I was like, I can't believe I have 120 days of this. I was artistically starved. And so I got back to New York and I wasn't getting work and I, I didn't really have that many friends. A lot of my friends were leaving New York and and many people in previous years through my content creation and everything, they're like, you should move to LA. Mm-hmm. And so I, I found that while I was in New York, the apex of what I could do as an employed violist were a couple of things. Play in the ballet, play in the Met, mm. play on Broadway, or playing the New York Phil. Otherwise, I would be stuck doing weddings. I would be stuck doing corporate gigs, playing in the subways. And I wanted to do more. I wanted to do way more. I wanted to do more recording work. Uh, I wanted to do, I wanted to play behind great big artists. I wanted to learn how to be an artist myself, how to work a crowd, how to give a genuinely good show. I wanted to go touring. Mm-hmm. I had friends who were touring, friends from Berkeley who were touring, yeah. where people went out to a bar just to watch them perform. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> to a violist, that's like the crazy. <laughs> what you mean? I don't get. I don't have to just play off beats behind somebody who came to see the violinist. You know, it, it's just like it was. It was crazy. So I was. I, I wanted to figure out what LA was all about, and you know, I I was about to. Uh, wait, I was. I was twenty six. I was about to turn twenty seven. I was okay. Look, okay, you're still young. Girl just dumped you. 
not really much work coming in. Let's just do it. Let's buy it from Carlos. Pat, your lease is about to end. Your boy just hit you up, said he had a room opening up in LA. What you going to do? So I just, I just took the leap and, and just wanted to have faith that the net would appear. And it has. And so I, I'm very fortunate and, and, and grateful because I'm way more busy <laughs> wow. out here than I was in New York City. What did you do in New York to get gigs and what's the difference in L.A.? I mean, why are you so busy now versus then? Well, I, I think I think it's like what you said a little earlier. It really is a lot about building that social capital and building rapport. And go when I was in New York, going to Juilliard, it's like not a bad look. Like when <laughs> when when people need a violist who can read music, right? So I took as many like I just said yes to everything for a yeah, while right. and just met the people uh, at the gig and just talked to them and just had a fun time. Um, but my path has been very different from a lot of people's paths. And so I will say, uh, building my online life, my online brand, especially in 2014, 2015, 2016, there weren't that many people doing it. There just weren't that many people taking their cell phone and posting a clip from a rehearsal they had that day. There was nobody really sharing their life that intimately because, Frankly, it is a little weird and what and, <laughs> and was very weird at the time. And people perceived me to think that I thought I, I was a, I had this self-aggrandizing image I was trying to portray. But those are the people who aren't watching me. I was right. just I was just trying to get people to know me and I was right. just trying to get to know people. Yeah. And so one thing that really helped initially was finding other people in New York that were doing the same thing and then working with them, doing videos with them. And then other people would see that I'm working with other people. And then that kind of compounded. People probably asked, what's he like? But more importantly, I was preparing the transition from New York to LA years in advance. I was uh, investing a lot of money in plane tickets. I came out in 2017 three times to meet up with people. The second time I was here for like three weeks and I ended up paying for the trip in gigs. Just because like wow. people knew I was in town and they were like, I need a violist. I think it's a lot of things combining. Being a violist is good if you want work. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> it's very good. But uh, at the end of the day, when I moved out here, it was still very slow. You know, if people are doing branding without any sales, they're not going to get work, I guess I would argue. You know, if you just, it, you got to connect the dots. Like, you know, you can be making videos all the time. It doesn't necessarily translate to someone, to you getting a gig. Would you agree with that? Or what yeah. would you say about that in general? You're like a brand, like you've got a great brand you. because you put years into it and you're great at what mm-hmm. you do. Um, but not everybody's going to be a great brand. Mm-hmm. Should they still be doing uh, some type of you know online marketing? And how would they connect that to actually getting paid and, and taking that next step in their day-to-day work life? Well, couple things. First of all is you just if you want if you have a service, you need to be in front of you need eyeballs. You need eyeball. You need to be where people's eyeballs are if you ever have a surface service or a product. And so not making content means that you're just saying no to eyeballs, right? right? right. Um 
and and the 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 thing about the, about content my answer to your question is you totally should be because it's not about the eyeballs today it's the eyeballs for the rest of time yeah. and so what you're doing is you're build, building equity you're building a portfolio that people whenever they happen to hear your name they yeah. can go out and see what you're about yeah. so i'm always a proponent of putting yourself out there because guess what whether you like it or not, you're a media company now. And that's Mark Zuckerberg deemed it so because <laughs> there's money in your data. There's money in the things that you do. Yeah. There really is. And so telling your story is super huge. If somebody hears, oh yeah, uh, you heard about this guy, Christian, Christian Hose, he like does uh violent tutorials and everything. He's got he's got a great online course. And then somebody searches you on Google and they don't see any videos. Right. They don't see any samples of your work. Right. Why are they gonna buy your service? Right. Why are they gonna feel even comfortable with that purchase? Right. When you make content online, it gives people more comfort in making that purchase. Yeah. You and in essence, are selling yourself yeah. when you do that. Yeah. And so I, I believe holistically, because this is how I've built my life, the, the seven years until well, six years until pretty much last year, I didn't get any real serious brand work. Nothing, right. nothing. I only built the thing. I only focused on building the thing. Right. And then I built it to a point where brands could see their thing right. associated with it yeah. because it <laughs> fit the message. But if you don't have a house, like, why are you going to try to buy a couch if you don't have a house, man? <laughs> Stop trying to get couches. <laughs> Just get a house first. Build a house. Get an apartment. It could be a little garage. It doesn't matter. Right. Just build it and then fill it with things because then it'll ha you'll have space for it. Yeah. But if, if, if you're trying to make ad reads, if you're trying to get ad reads, but you don't make episodes, right. like, that makes no sense. Yeah. So that's my perspective. And yeah. I want people to play the 10-year game. Mm -hmm. they want, I want them to play the 10-year game. I, I'm about six years in. To the the whole plan, and 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 six years ago, I was I was graduating from undergrad, and I said, okay, I'm gonna really go. I'm gonna go all in. If I don't see anything happen in the next ten years on the social media thing, I'll just take the lessons I learned and apply it to a new medium. I'll apply it somewhere else. Maybe I'll do something different. But I just have to promise myself that I'll be patient enough to just take find the tiniest, tiniest <laughs> little solace in whatever growth comes right. and just be okay with it. Go to bed, wake up, do it again. Yeah. And it happened in five. So yeah. I was very, I'm very lucky. I'm very blessed. I'm so grateful for it. But now I'm trying to figure out what the next thing is. Mm -hmm. So that, that's where I am. So my advice to people, just go build it. Just go build it. Yeah. Worry about everything else later. Yeah. No, I think that's great. But I still see lots of opportunities that people miss, as you said earlier. And I can think of like, for example, my kids, uh, private teachers, like I looked at their videos, like the drummer that I hired when I went to Minnesota, the drummer that I hired when I went to North Dakota, like the, <laughs> the piano player that I hired in Atlanta last year, like the, there was like three or four people that got passed up by me even though they were referred to me by someone I trusted 
because after I got the referral about them, I was like, let me go check this person out. Yeah, you I still couldn't find anything. I was like, nope, next. You know what? Honestly, man, I think that's why I'm starting to get more work because I think that thing happened, that exact phenomenon happens somebody can't do a gig and then they throw in a couple of names and people ask for those hat those for those handles and then they investigate yeah i think that's how i think that's how you get how these gigs work you just have to be searchable that's all it is you just got to go be searchable people want a very specific skill like like they don't want just a violist they want to know if a violist can read or they want to know if can a violist play in tune how's their sound how do they look Mm -hmm. Do they have a nice smile? Are they going to vibe me the wrong way? And you can learn all that in a video. Like I saw the video you did with Leah, Leah Zeger. Leah Zeger, and, yeah. And I was like, man, oh. he's got a beautiful sound. And wow, wh- you know, like, like he plays really well in tune and he's making this whole right. groove happen without like drums or anything. Like that's really hard to do. The cat can groove. Like if I was deciding to hire someone, I would look at that and I would, and those are the mm-hmm. things that would go off in my head. Mm-hmm. And and even like just like seeing your videos where you're talking about different stuff, I got a mm-hmm. sense about your your warmth and your mm-hmm. your um your style of speaking and just I felt like put at ease, you know. Thank and people, you. Well, I mean, you, I, I yeah, you're welcome. I mean, but it, it, but it's like those things matter. Like I'm not gonna hire a teacher for my child if I don't feel put at ease and if I don't hear them talk about their philosophy, you know, show me what they look like teaching a kid, you know? So I do feel like it's not just about being a massive brand. It's about showing your skills in these very specific situations. So people can hire you for a gig in your town. You know what I mean? Yep. Yep. I couldn't agree with you more, more Chris. And you know, that's so funny uh, because I, when I'm, I've read I've read a lot of marketing books over the past few years. And yeah. one of the things they say about building a brand is to have like uh, what they call a commanding principle. I think they I forget I think it was called Ideas That Stick. I forget the author of it. I didn't read the whole thing, but they had an example of Southwest. Southwest Airlines is supposed to be the low budget airline, right? right? The lowest fares possible. And so in board meetings, they would have, so for cross country flights, should we have the chicken salad or the lasagna? And the CEO's like, neither, because we are the low cost airline. <laughs> right. That'll we'll have to raise ticket prices if we do things like that. So it's it's so interesting. You have to have a philosophy before you put anything out. And one of my commanding philosophies was like, is this something I would have wanted to see as a younger musician? Mm. And if the answer is no, I don't post it. If the answer is yes, of course I post it. And so I think I just want to be the big brother. I just want to be like that big brother in orchestra class wow. who ju- who's seen it before you. I, I get it. I get I get the viola jokes, homie. Here's what you just got to come back with your own. Here here a couple. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know I, I wanted to just like put these kids at ease because what we do isn't readily understood or accepted by society. And it can be very difficult to live this life. And so I just wanted people to be able to, to understand that like, it's okay. Like what you do is cool. You've got a clear idea of who your audience is and how, and that you're always trying to come from a place of service. It's not self-aggrandizing. It's really serving. That's your litmus test for everything. Is this mm-hmm. going to serve a younger 
person coming up in my, you know, in the path that I've been on. That is beautiful, man. It, it's, I'm really glad I got to, to meet you and I appreciate your time. Very generous of you, man. Is there anything that you would like to close out with or like, you know, let people know obviously where they can find you and how they should be connecting with you, but anything else you want to address yes yes please first of all if you uh if you're a parent out there don't listen to my podcast you don't want to hear these crazy <laughs> now i have a podcast called the faking nose podcast with my um with my friend juilliard uh friend and co-host trevor bumgarner uh it's it's an improv comedy podcast where we talk about music culture things that are happening in the news uh but we also have on guests and we want to have you on, Chris. So I gotta get out LA, to LA. Please do come out to LA. <laughs> we always treat our guests to uh, a lunch, uh, but we 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 love having these conversations because I think these conversations really aren't being had in uh, universities. They're not being had uh, on the internet, mostly because people are afraid to say these things, but also because like classical musicians, how many podcasts are there for for us? But we also love learning these lessons about how to present ourselves as holistic artists that it, that not just in the classical realm. How do we relate to uh, how do we relate to people in general? Yeah. But aside from that, come check out the Faking Notes podcast. I can't wait to have Chris here, and you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, even TikTok uh, at that Viola Kid or Oh Snap It's TVK. Man, thank you so much, Drew. I'm really, I'm, I'm just, I've, I'm so grateful that uh, I got to know you a little more. And uh, just, I got to acknowledge you, man, for the amazing stuff you're doing. I just total respect to you, man. Thank you. Thank you. It is, it is mutual. And I am, uh, as soon as these auditions are up, man, I'm going to be getting back to that course, man. I'm trying to learn how to chop. I want it. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to another episode. It's been great to get to know Drew. I would love to get your feedback. You can find more information at the show notes at christianhouse.com. Again, I want to thank our sponsors, Yamaha and Electric Violin Shop. And again, I want to remind you about all the programs that we have to offer at Creative Strings, including our free play along lessons. Go to YouTube and search Christian House Creative Strings. You will find our channel with hundreds of play along videos for students of all levels that have been used by classroom teachers, studio teachers, hobbyists, professionals to have more engagement in practicing. I would always love to hear from you. So feel free to reach out anytime, chris at christianhouse.com and we will see you next time.